0: Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to Lessons Given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. And good morning, church. Uh, Charles did, did such a, a nice job last week uh, in, in looking at the, the theme of blood that runs throughout the Old Testament, so when I saw that Mike was leading all the bloody songs, uh, <laughs> which sounds like a British uh, curse word more than anything, um, but I was, I was excited to, to see that, and, and I, I like the way the services fit together like that sometimes. Uh, it's good, good to see all of you, uh, good to have you all here, glad you were able to carve yourselves out of the, the, the ice this week and make it here uh, I'm going to call Alicia up for a kind of an a announcement we're tacking on, and then we'll, we'll get right into the, the sermon. So, Rich, maybe that mic. Good morning, Lafayette. We um, want to celebrate with the Isoms. Their baby Ashton will turn one-year-old on Saturday afternoon. And so we are asking each one of you, to or family units, to write a note of encouragement or happy birthday greeting there are cards out in the lobby, and um, there's a collection basket as well for you to drop those cards in. So you can write those today, next Sunday at the latest, and we're going to drop all that off um, to them and uh, coordinate with them. But we're very excited for them to celebrate with them, and so we, we want everyone to uh, join in on that. Thank you. And I do think Aaron and Lindsay are on, so surprise, Aaron and Lindsay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And and happy birthday to to Ashton. And we'll we'll say a little bit more about that next week and, and pray for them next next Sunday morning. But but do uh, do fill that out for for sure. Get a head start on that. So we are in our our third of of six messages, uh, six sermons exploring a theology of of the practice of, of baptism. And and again, we are mostly trying to focus on these these uh, what and and why questions connected to our baptisms rather than those. Uh, who and and when and how questions. Again, we can't totally separate uh, those into two different categories, but we're mostly interested in the the what and the why. What do our baptisms represent? What what do our baptisms do for us as as the people of God? Why has baptism been such a a central and important practice, not just in in the history of of churches of Christ, but throughout the vast majority of, of church history? And I think those what and, and why questions that, w- that we're interested in in this series are, are perhaps more clear uh, in our text this morning from, from Romans chapter 6 than probably anywhere else uh, in the New Testament. So this is one of those sermons where, where the text is just so powerful and, and speaks for itself to, to such a great degree that I, I really uh, just want to read these, these uh, 14 verses a few times and then sit down. And some of you would think that was my best sermon ever, <laughs> uh, if I didn't add any actual uh, commentary. Uh, and we're not going to go that far, but uh, I do mostly want to give us some, some structural supports that will help us to uh, discern and, and apply what is a, a truly wonderful passage in, in the book of Romans. And, and let's begin uh, in prayer this morning as, as we open ourselves up to, uh, to God's word and, uh, and look at it this morning. Dear God, we are... Uh, just thankful for this opportunity here at the beginning of the, the week on the Lord's Day to, to gather as the people of God, to, to sing, to, to commune with our risen Lord, uh, to give, to, to just uh, celebrate with, with one another, God. And I am uh, especially mindful of the opportunity we have this morning to open up these ancient words uh, written down by your servant Paul in, in the book of Romans, and I just pray that this time of preaching would be a time of worship and that our, our time spent in the text this morning would inform us and, and shape us and that we will keep our, our hearts and our, our minds open to, to what you would uh, speak to us this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So in uh, December and in January, I, I somewhat uh, accidentally happened to, to watch a, a handful of movies that were either uh, musicals or music-based uh, movies, And then I was able to, to go to, to the Fox here recently with, with one of your extra tickets, uh, which is a, a good thing for you to keep in mind, uh, should you ever come into some extra tickets. Uh, some of you love musicals, and, and others of you, uh, like a certain member of my own household, absolutely despise musicals. And so uh, for those that fall into that, la- that latter category, bear with me for a moment. One of my favorite things about a good musical is the way that each unit w- within the, the musical contributes to the overall story being told. And so by unit, I, I certainly mean the, the two different acts, acts act, uh, act 1 and Act 2, but also the different movements within each act and, and the different songs within each movement and all the way down to the the, specifics lyri- the specific lyrics and, and, and melodies uh, within any, any given song. And those units of, of various sizes are are, in a good musical, they're, they're pieced together in a, in a very clever way, in a very purposeful way in order to, to tell a, a masterful story. And so again, in good musicals, uh, a certain character uh, appearing may be accompanied by a certain line, And so you can sort of uh, anticipate certain things. Or a, a song can uh, be repeated with a, a new set of lyrics which connects the two songs in two very different parts of, of the play together. Uh, a song can be repeated, uh, a, a certain lyric can be repeated by multiple characters in, in very different settings. And so there's all sorts of ways to, to connect these different units uh, together and, and to create additional meaning. And of course, we could say all of this uh, that we just said about a musical, we could say all of that about other forms of storytelling beyond the musical. Uh, a great movie. Uh, even in just two hours, a great movie or a, a great novel or a non-musical drama or a symphony without any words, uh, all of those things uh, can, can do the same thing, which is why most of us can consume our, our favorite plays or movies or, or novels uh, multiple times and, and constantly find fresh meaning within them. And so all that to say, during this time that, that I found myself just sort of I really just watched several movies and then realized they were all musicals. Uh, I didn't really set out to do that. But in that same stretch of time these last two months, I have also been slowly studying the the book of Romans. And I'm convicted that everything I just said uh, about uh, a musical or a a good movie or a novel or uh, any sort of play can also be said uh, about the book of Romans. Because perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, Uh, The book of Romans reads as a a grand drama to me. It it comes across as a dramatic musical that is powerfully narrating the the gospel story of of salvation that that we find in in Jesus. And so Romans has movements, and Romans has themes, and Romans has characters and keywords and phrases. And these different sized units, whether sections of chapters or uh, chapters or passages or verses or words they all contribute in one way or another to to what is certainly a masterful piece of literature, which is why no matter how many times you read and you study a book like Romans, you'll always be able to make further connections and and find additional meaning. And this is certainly true of Scripture as a whole and in other certain books in Scripture, uh, but I'm not sure any of them quite compare uh, to to how this uh, works out with, with Romans. And so what we're doing this morning... Is for just a few minutes, briefly zooming in on Romans chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 1 to 14. But, but I also want us to realize that, that this passage is somewhat like a single song in an entire musical. It belongs to a chapter, which then belongs to, to a whole set of chapters, which then belongs to the whole drama of, of Romans. And because this song, this passage, is focused on, on baptism, as we sort of see the way it connects to the, to the rest of Romans, we're able to see the way that, that baptism as a practice connects to this whole wide range of uh, theological beliefs. And so I, I want to throw up a, a rough overview of, of Romans that separates it into four uh, units, and this just kind of gets our mind uh, focused on, on all the different ideas present within Romans. And there's some flexibility here in, in how to divide it up. Some people put chapter 5 in with the first four, uh, again, some flexibility, but this follows the, the folks over at the Bible Project, who I, I think do a pretty nice job at presenting the, the flow of Romans, and like they always do, they're, they're able to, to sort of present Scripture as as a story. And so in chapters 1 to 4, uh, we read about the, the way the Gospel reveals God's uh, righteousness. God's. Um, better than Gad. Nathan. No, I'm just kidding. So Gad and God's, uh, with a choke in there. The Gospel reveals God's righteousness. And, and there's lots of teachings in these first few chapters about the, the sinfulness of Jews and Gentiles, and, and about God's wrath and his judgment, and about Abraham, and about justification by faith, and all these theological themes uh, come to the surface. And then in chapters five to eight, we read about the, the way that the gospel creates a new humanity. And there's teachings here about Adam and Jesus, and, and the new Adam, and, and about baptism in chapter six, and about spiritual slavery and about the law in chapter 7, and then in chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit and about the love of Jesus Christ, and all of these themes uh, come to the service. And then in chapters 9 to 11, uh, it's a really dense section where we read about the way that, that God fulfills his promise to the people of, of Israel, and Paul is wrestling with uh, God's sovereignty, and he's wrestling with God's mercy and who that does apply to or doesn't apply to as, as he wrestles with the fate of, of both the Jews and, and the Gentiles. And then in chapters 12 to 16, Paul shows the way that the gospel unifies the church. And these chapters get quite a bit more uh, applicable, uh, a lot more practical, and, and Paul begins to explore what it looks like in practice for the Roman Christians to, to offer themselves as, as a living sacrifice uh, to God. And so what I'm, I'm pitching to you in, in giving this long intro is that I think these four sections uh, within Romans are, are like four acts within one uh, grand drama or, or musical which narrates the, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each one of these acts is connected to one another. You can't fully understand one without understanding the other. And then within each act, it has certain songs that are Connected to each other, certain passages, and then each song it's, itself, uh, each passage is, is rich with certain lyrics or individual verses uh, that, that tend to, to speak for themselves. And so I, I kind of want us to imagine this, this whole thing as, as a drama, and we're zooming in and reading just, just a little snippet of it uh, this morning. And so my point is not to try to teach the entire book of Romans in 25 minutes, that, that's to miss my point. What I'm saying is that if if we had many, many, many hours, maybe we we could do that. My point is that this particular song here in chapter 6 connects to so many different aspects of the fundamental gospel story. And what Paul's saying in just uh, 14 14 verses is also connected to to everything else we could read about in in Romans. So let's zoom in uh, just for a few minutes, starting here in in verse 1. And as Kevin noted, it it starts off with, with two questions. So Paul writes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that that grace may abound or so that grace may increase? Right off the bat, to the point we just looked at, Paul connects what he's about to teach in chapter 6 back to what he was just teaching in chapter 5. So you can't really fully understand his his point about baptism in chapter 6 without everything he had just said in chapter 5. And then he goes on and he answers himself. He says, by no means. uh, We are those who have died to sin, how can we live in sin any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that's quite a line, we too may live a new life. Or or most translations put that something like, so we too might walk in in newness of life. And so Paul is is simply continuing. He's he's continuing to develop his teachings here on on the relationship between uh, human sinfulness, something we all have in common, and and, in the grace of of Jesus Christ, something we all want to attain to. And Paul feels the need to to sort of clarify what he is saying uh, about sinfulness and grace and what he is not saying about sinfulness and grace. And to clarify his theology, he turns to the practice of of baptism. He's trying to teach the people through appealing to to the practice of baptism. And and essentially, he says that that Christians then and now should not continue to sin just because God's grace is far greater than their sin, which is what he established in in chapter 5. They can't just continue to sin because grace is bigger than sin, because we have died to sin. That's his point. We, we can't sin because we're dead to sin. And you ask, well, Paul, how are you dead to sin? And his whole point is that we're dead to sin by being baptized into Jesus Christ, and in particular, by being baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. His point is that when we go down into, and or when we went down into, the the waters of baptism, we not only died to ourselves, but our sinful nature was literally put to death. It, it was it was buried, it was done away with, and we arise to live a new life, but our, our sinful natures don't, don't rise with us. And, and I already kind of hinted at this, but, but the gospel story that baptism teaches us doesn't even stop at death. It goes beyond death. It, it goes beyond a, a, a putting to death of our sinfulness. It's not just that we're no longer going to live a life of sin. We don't stay in the grave. We don't, we don't stand under water. We were also raised from the dead just as the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And in being raised, that is why we can live a new life, and a life that is, is very different than our, our old life that we lived uh, under, under uh, sin. And so there was a, a certain time several years ago where I heard a song uh, with baptismal imagery in it. And I thought, this is a song about baptism. And you're going to question that because these are the lyrics. I've been traveling on this road too long. Just trying to find my way back home, but the old me is dead and gone, dead and gone. Now the reason that's probably not a song about baptism is because that song is by Justin Timberlake. Uh, and so I like Justin Timberlake, but I, I'm not uh, thinking at the time that he thought he was writing a song about baptism, but I think those, those lyrics really do draw out the message that, that Paul's trying to get across in these first four verses. The old me is dead and gone. That's exactly what Paul is trying to say here. The old me, the old self, the the life of sin that I I lived in the past is dead and gone, and it was left in in the waters of of baptism. And I think Paul pretty much could have stopped after the first four verses. I mean, that pretty much sums up his whole message. But he he does continue into into verse 5 and he, he sort of restates and, and rounds out a few of the things he's, he's already brought up. So let's, let's keep reading along with him. He says, For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so, again, I, I think Paul is, is mostly just restating some of what he's already said, but, but he does add some powerful new language in, in here, and, and he uh, also adds a little bit of a, a future oriented perspective. And so he says, We're united with Jesus. He hadn't used that, that word united yet. Uh, as we participate in a, in a death like his, as we're crucified with, with Jesus. And although we have already been raised with Jesus uh, in coming out of the waters of baptism, we already live this this new life, there is also a sense in in which this uh, this present resurrection anticipates the the future resurrection that is still to come. And so as we talk about a lot at Lafayette, our resurrection in Christ is one of those already not yet teachings that, that we see here. Paul can refer to it as if it's already been accomplished that we're already raised with christ in our baptism but he can also suggest that there is still a a resurrection still still to come in the future and then he throws out a a few other key phrases that he that he hasn't actually used yet Uh, phrases like our old self and the word crucified uh the word slave the word freedom and if you know romans you know that all of those words are sort of hyperlinks to to other parts of of romans and it brings those uh, chapters into the conversation we keep reading in verse 8 Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so in God raising Jesus from the dead, death uh, with a a capital D no longer is, is the master of Jesus. That's what we just sing about in that amazing song right before the, the sermon. That, the, the power we feel when we start singing, Up from the grave, he arose. It, uh, that was a nice rendition of that. The reason we, we, we feel that power is because it is proclaiming the gospel story, that death no longer has mastery of, uh, of Jesus, that he arose, and in doing so, he is the, the victor over death. And so the, the Jesus that, that we worship and, and that we follow and that we serve and that we commune with, um, every week is not a crucified Lord. We, we commune every single week with a risen Lord. And, and Paul is very firm in declaring that Jesus has moved once and for all from a state of death to a state of, of resurrection. And his confidence in Jesus having done that is what makes verse 11 perhaps the, the most astounding verse uh, in, in these 14 verses. Uh, Paul moves from Jesus to us, And he says, in the same way, so in in the same way of everything I just proclaimed to you about Jesus and his death and resurrection, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul has the boldness uh, to declare that what Jesus experienced in his death and resurrection is comparable in some way to what Christians experience in their own Deaths and in their own resurrections in in their baptisms. We count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, just as Jesus did, because we have been united to Jesus uh, in participating in a death like his and in a resurrection like his in in our baptisms. And then to to top it off in in verses 12 to 14, Paul makes this uh, theology a little bit more practical. He really holds off on a lot of this to the final few chapters of the book. But he, he's laid out the gospel here in the first uh, 10 or 11 verses. He's laid out the way that we, we participate in, in the gospel story through our baptisms. And now he lays out his expectations, the expectations he has for the, the newness of life they now share in Christ. He does that uh, in, starting in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, just like Jesus was brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but are under grace." And so if you're like me and reading this passage, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to just stop in verse 14, because if you studied Romans, you know that Nathan referenced uh, Romans 7 this morning, and there, there's so much more that, that still uh, could be said and, and is said in Romans, connected to everything we, we just read in these 14 verses, which is exactly why we started the way we did in, in looking at Romans as, as a grand drama, where any one Song within the, the, the musical or the drama connects to, to the rest of it. And so I am not arguing that the whole book of Romans is, is about baptism. That, that, would be, uh, that would be an overstatement. That would be an overreach. The whole book of Romans is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the salvation we experience because of that, that gospel. But baptism is a, a practice, it's, it's something we, we do that reveals and teaches and reinforces and helps us to participate in that entire gospel story. It's a practice that has connections or, or links to many of those, if not all of those, other theological beliefs that, that we read about in Romans. And again, going back to our, our very first week, this is why, to me, it's, it's an absolute tragedy to, to minimize baptism down to a legalistic hoop that one must jump through. And it's also a, a tragedy to say, oh, because of those people's legalism, we're just not going to pay it any attention all, altogether. I think Paul, before maybe this became a little bit more controversial, Paul wants the Roman Christians, Paul wants the, the Jew uh, and the Gentile and, and Rome to focus on the immense unity they now share, the, the spiritual commonality they maintain by being baptized into Jesus Christ, by being baptized into this drama, by being baptized and, and by participating in this story. And so Paul teaches the the church in Rome, and and he teaches the other churches across the Mediterranean world all sorts of things. Paul spills a lot of ink, and he offers his thoughts on any number of of topics, but Paul is pretty clear what he considers to be of utmost importance, 1 Corinthians 15. He considers the death, burial, resurrection, and the appearances of Jesus to be of of utmost importance, and he's trying to be very clear in this letter that the the unity the the Romans share with one another is based on that same core story, that they are united more than anything else by their participation, by their baptisms into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So could we say more about baptism based on all the the connections Romans makes? I think we could. As we've seen in chapter 6, in their baptisms, they die to sin, and they begin to live a new life for God. We could also look at how death and the law and slavery are done away with and the way they receive the the gifts of eternal life and grace and freedom. We could look at the way they are justified by faith as Abraham was, the way that they receive grace through the last Adam, the way they are shown mercy uh, by being grafted into God's family tree. We could look at the way that they no longer receive condemnation because they are in Jesus Christ, chapter 8, we can look at the way they are children of God because they have received and are led by the same Spirit of God which dwells within them. We can look at the way they're more than conquerors because neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus their Lord. And that does not even touch on chapters 12 to 16. And so what I am trying to say this morning is that Paul was trying to get the Roman Christians to see just how significant it is that they have been united to that story, that they have participated in that story by being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And my contention would be that it's just as significant for us as it was Jackie and Carol are going to head back to the prayer room. Let's stand and let's sing.